0: is isn't he. God is good. We're going to be in Psalm 103 this morning. I felt the Lord kind of nudge me in uh, in this direction. We just uh, suspend our study of Revelation for one week. Uh, not to worry though. I think we will. We're still on pace to finish by year's end, if if the Lord wills, and uh, or if the Rapture doesn't happen first, and that'd be okay too. Psalm 103, I'll read you something from uh, John Phillips, he says, this is David's hallelujah chorus, it is a psalm of singular beauty with rhythmic quality all of its own, it contains 22 verses, the same number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet, the covenant title Lord or Jehovah occurs uh, 11 times, half that number. It is what we call an envelope psalm. It ends exactly in the same way it begins. The subject matter being enclosed or enveloped between the opening and the closing words. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In the original text, the verses are all of uniform length and contain, and all contain two lines each. So that's just a little interesting note um, about the structure. Uh, we'll look at the content in just a moment. But concerning the structure, I, think, I thought that was fascinating. This is a Thanksgiving psalm. If you'll notice, there are no petitions. There are no requests in this. And how often do we go before God uh, and, and not ask Him for something? <laughs> uh, probably very seldom. But we're going to today. Uh, the, the psalm divides up. The first five verses are uh, individual. Verses 6 through 19 deal with the nation of Israel. And then 20 and 22 are universal uh, words of praise. The author is King David. Um before we get started, let's let's pray. Preacher Larry, you feel like praying this morning? Thank you, sir. Father. Amen. So let's just go through it. Um Psalm one oh three. Verse one says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Notice who David's talking to here. Who is he talking to? Read it again. He's talking to himself. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, you know, it's a sign of intelligence for people that talk to themselves. You know, for me, it's about the only intelligent conversation I get. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> my wife just give me a death stare. <laughs> no, but, um, but David's talking to himself. And from what I read in the commentaries, it's almost like David's kind of getting on to himself. He's, he's, talking, he's having a stern talk with himself. Maybe he's been depressed. Maybe he's been uh, downtrodden. And here he's saying, all right, David, it's time to get yourself in gear and remember how good God is. We need to remember how good God has been to us. I mean, every single day we need to. Not just one Thursday in, uh, in November. Notice he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Not just paying lip service, but giving everything to God. Uh, all of our worship, all of our mind, all of our attention. And bless His holy name. Oh, hallelujah. God's name is wonderful, isn't it? You know, in the, in the model prayer that Jesus gave us, He said the, the opening words uh, are what? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy what? Thy name. And as you begin to meditate on those names of God and go through... You think about Jehovah Shalom, he's my peace. Jehovah Jireh, he's the God who provides for me. He gives me everything that I have. He's Jehovah Rapha, he's the Lord who heals my diseases. Here's the one that really gets me going. He's Jehovah Sidkenu, he is my righteousness. He gives me the ability to be righteous in the sight of God. He's, uh, and we could go on and on and on. But think about God's name and David is blessing the holy name of the Lord. Verse 2, he repeats it. Not because he's forgotten, but because it's for, it's for emphasis here. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And he says, and forget not all of his benefits. Warren Wearsby says, our problem is we forget what we need to remember, and we remember what we need to forget. And that's, that's a good quote, isn't it? Fourteen times in Deuteronomy, God tells the people to, um, to remember as they're getting ready to enter into the land. And then in uh, nine times in Deuteronomy, uh, God tells the people, don't forget. So they need to remember and not forget. Now, here's the sad thing. When you get to the book of Judges, you've got three generations. You've got the Exodus generation. Then you've got Joshua's generation. And then immediately after that, you have a generation that does not know the Lord and walking in his ways. Now, I don't know how many generations we are removed from the first pilgrims that landed here maybe 13, anywhere from 13 to 16 generations. But it is evident to me that we have come to a place where we as a nation have forgotten about God. And that's why the country is in the shape that it's in right now. Uh, we need to get back to what this nation was founded upon. Now, the founding fathers were not perfect. The first pilgrims were not perfect. Nobody is is here trying to, to say that. But I will say this. They were here to establish freedom to worship their creator. And this is a nation founded upon god's holy word Amen. even our money you know the money is is everybody's god but even in our money for now at least it still says in god we trust you know and if you go back and read some history you'll find out that the people who first landed here and, and began to uh, to settle in this land were people that worship the lord jesus christ and that's why we've got to get back to that folks it's easy to forget our blessings that's That's how perverse our our sin nature is. You know, we we remember all the terrible things and we forget how good God has been to us. But David's having a talk with himself. Verse three, he forgives all. I want you to pay attention to the word all here. I think it it appears about nine times in this psalm. It says that he forgives all of your iniquities. Now, he doesn't say sins here. He certainly doesn't say mistakes. Jesus didn't die for your mistakes. He died for my sins. But this iniquity, it speaks of the, the, the perversity of, of our spirit, you know. We're twisted and bent uh, as fallen creatures. And God, notice it's in the present tense, too. Notice it doesn't say he forgave, you know. But it says he forgives. God's still in the forgiving business. And we need to be, too. We need to be people of forgiveness. But God forgives how many of our iniquities? All of them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, you know, you say, well, maybe I forgot to confess some of them. You know, God takes that into account. God, yeah, sometimes, do you ever, uh, sometimes I'm overly fastidious about things, you know, and I'm like, Lord, did I remember to confess this to you? Did I, and sometimes I'm like, God, if there's anything I forgot, just wash me in the blood of Jesus. <laughs> you know, you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, I've gone through my list of things that I know I did and the things that I know I didn't do, but God, if I left anything out, just wash me in the blood of Jesus. And he, you know what? He'll do it. He's still in the forgiving business. He forgives all of your iniquities, but he doesn't stop there. He says he heals. Notice this is in the present tense. He heals all of your diseases. Now, i gonna put a little caveat here. It doesn't mean that if you're a Christian, you'll never get sick. Can I get a witness? <laughs> uh, King David was sick. We don't know exactly what all his sicknesses were, but he had some sicknesses that God healed him from. Now, I'm of the persuasion that David wrote this psalm as an older man, a man who's been through some things, like that uh, farmer's commercial, uh, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Now you got that little jingle in your head, don't you? bum dum bum bum whatever. But uh, I'm convinced David was an older man when he wrote this. David had seen, uh, he, he knew what it was to be sick. David knew what it was to be forgiven. He, amen. amen. I mean, whenever you get to wondering if God will forgive you some stuff, look at King David. I mean, King David did some terrible things. Terrible things. And God did not condone the terrible things that he did, but guess what God did? He forgave those things because David said, I've sinned against you, Lord. Against you only have I sinned. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your free spirit. And God answered that prayer. And that's why David's writing Psalm 103, I believe among other things. David knew what it was to be forgiven. David knew what it was to be healed. God ever healed you of anything? Well, let me, let me just go ahead and answer that for you. If you're alive today, sitting here in this church, God has healed you of something. Well, I went to the doctor and he gave me a medicine. God gave that doctor the wisdom to prescribe the medicine. And most of that medicine uh, works to keep us sick anyway, right? You take one thing and it makes something else go wrong. If, if you ever have been healed in your life, it's because God... Right now, I believe ultimately we're gonna we're gonna have an ultimate healing. Right, we're gonna have a brand new body, no more sickness, no more death, no more sorrow, no more whatever. Fill in the blank. But I believe even in this intermediate period, that God is still a healer. He doesn't guarantee us. Okay, I'm not saying it's guaranteed. But I still, I still, if I had a problem in my body, which I do have some, and you have some too, I have no qualms about coming before God and saying, God, you forgive all of my iniquities, and I believe you can heal all of my diseases. Because you're the same God. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus that opened the blinded eyes, the same Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead is able to heal your body today. He is. All right, verse four. He redeems your life from destruction. Some translations will say the pit. Uh, I believe that God keeps us... There's no no telling how many times God has spared us from an untimely death. Uh, The accident should have killed you, but it didn't. The sickness should have been unto death, but it wasn't. Uh, uh, Whatever it was, it could have been far worse than it was because of God's intervention. And most of us just go our way never even thinking twice about it. But God is so good. He redeems our life from destruction. But ultimately, folks... He has redeemed us from the ultimate destruction, which is the lake of fire and hell. And he redeemed us. You know what it means to redeem? It means to pay the price. Let me tell you what, it came at a great cost to God himself. God paid the ultimate price. He gave his only begotten son that you and I could be forgiven. I love the acronym for grace. I heard Hal Lindsey give it. He may not have been the originator, but grace, G-R-A-C-E, is God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus paid it all. He redeems our life from destruction, but notice what else He does. He crowns us with loving kindness. The, the Hebrew word there for loving kindness is hesed. It speaks of His loyal love. He crowns us. Now think about that. Christ wore the crown of thorns, did He not? He did. But when it comes to His children, He crowns us. Think about that. Just think about a velvet crown on top of your head, a full of loving kindness. And tender mercies. Our God is a good God. We can focus so much on the judgment of God. And and we have to talk about the judgment of God. But we need to emphasize that God is a loving God. I mean, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world uh, could be saved through him. Hallelujah. David said, don't forget all of his benefits. There's six of them here. We've covered several. Uh, Verse five, he satisfies your mouth with what? Good things. God's got good things for you and me. He's got good things in store for us now, good things in store for us in the future. C.H. Spurgeon uh, said this, no man has ever filled to satisfaction but a believer, and only God himself can satisfy even him. Many a worldling is satiated but not one is satisfied. Isn't that true? Jesus told the woman at the well. He said, "Whoever drinks this water is going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water I'm going to give you, you'll never thirst again." Go with me to Luke chapter five. This is—I uh, w- I want to take a little detour here. Luke chapter five. Hold your place in the Psalms. <clears throat> i give somebody else a chance to read here. I'll get a drink of water and give you all a break from my monotone here. Let's see. Luke chapter 5. 18 through 24. You want to read that out? 18 through 24, Luke 5.
1: a bed of a man who was paralyzed whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how that how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the house atop and lay him down with his bed through the tip pilings in the midst of before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began reasoning, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? And who can forgive but God and one But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house.
0: The man's first problem, his biggest problem, was he needed his iniquities to be forgiven, right? And that's why Jesus did it in the order that he did. And the Pharisees understood, hey, only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus said, okay, I tell you what, <laughs> So just so you'll realize that I'm God, uh, he tells the man to take up his bed and walk. Isn't it good to have friends that will bring you to Jesus? You now, this man had four friends that, t- that brought him to Jesus. All right, let's go back to uh, uh, Psalm 103 he satisfies your mouth with good things. Praise God. But then there's another thing he says. He says, so that your youth, this is another reason I believe David wrote it as an older man. Your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, there's a lot of people who want to talk about the the, the eagle and how it molts, you know, loses its uh, feathers and such. But I don't think that's what's in mind here. I think that uh, it speaks of the vigor and vitality you can have even in your senior years. I believe that. Now, we have, we have quite a few seniors in our church, and I, I frequently will tell you that your ministry is not over. Uh, John had some of the most fruitful ministry of his life in his 90s. He wrote the book of Revelation, perhaps, the uh, gospel of John. But um, look with me in Deuteronomy now. I want to show you something. I think I think this might be what David had in mind. Deuteronomy forty. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. (coughs) Thirty-four. Make sure you're awake. Deuteronomy (laughs) thirty-four. All right, I think i got Adam a microphone that will work now. Would you read 34 verses 1 through 7? 1 through 10.
1: (laughs) When Moses went up from the plains of Moab to the Mount Nebo to the top of the Pisgah, which is across from Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Nephitele and the land of Ephraim and Messina, all the land of Judah as far as the west western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his, his grave to this day. Moses was one hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And his children, Ezra, wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of weeping and mourning for, Moaz, for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him, and that did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. All right. 120 years old, the man's still as strong as he was
0: in his 40s. You know? And I think that's what David had in, his, had in mind here in Psalm 103. He renews your youth like the eagles. He can do that for you guys. I believe He can give you satisfaction and vigor in your old age, in your senior years, in my senior years. Verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. I think in mind here, He has in mind the exodus. The children of Israel were in bondage for 400 some odd years and God mightily delivered them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And God will do that for you. You don't have to worry about getting revenge. God will... God will give you justice. Number seven, he made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. There's a difference between knowing God's acts and knowing God's ways. The people knew God's acts, the miracles, the signs and the wonders, but Moses knew God's ways. He he didn't just see the, the what, but he knew the why. He had a relationship with God and that's what God wants from each one of us is to be, uh, have a, a, a friendship with Him, a, a, an intimate relationship with Him. <clears throat> verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous uh, in, in mercy. <laughs> now, back up to verse 7. Notice God. it says that God made known His ways unto Moses. It, it wasn't that Moses learned this by self-discovery. It was by revelation. And everything that we know about God is because God has revealed this to us, you know. Our, our, our faith is a faith of revelation. It's not self-discovery. Thank God that He reveals Himself to His children in the person of Jesus Christ and through the Word of God. Now, I want you to look with me, uh, if you will, at Exodus uh, uh, Exodus 33. Exodus 33. <clears throat> I think I got the right chapter this time. (laughs) Now, while Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, were the people consecrating themselves and worshiping Yahweh? No? What were they doing? Building a golden calf. And I love Aaron's response when they was confronted. You know, Moses, like, Aaron put together the golden calf. And the Bible says that he fashioned it with a tool. You know, that, you know, <laughs> Aaron sculpted the golden calf. And Moses said, what are you doing? And Aaron said, I don't know. He said, I just put all the gold in the furnace and this calf just came out. Like an easy bake oven, you know. It's just amazing. I, I love that response. But, but anyway, so they're making the golden calf, okay. Moses intercedes for the people because God's ready to wipe them out. Uh, and Moses intercedes for the people But uh, I said 33, all right. um. Adam, would you read 13 through 23?
1: Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way, that I might know you, that I might find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people, And he said, "My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest." Then he said to him, "If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how will we be it known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? So we shall be separate and your people and I from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, "I'll also do this thing that you have spoken." For you have found a grace in my sight, and I know that you by name. And he said, Please show me your glory. And then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on it. And you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put in the cleft of the rock, and you will cover you and it will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face you shall not be seen.
0: Mm-mm-mm. And yet when we get to the book of Revelation, at the end in the New Jerusalem, what does it say that we'll do? We'll sit we'll see the face of God. Oh, That's amazing, isn't it? Amazing to think about. So God puts Moses in the cleft of the rock. And go to chapter 34 now, same same book. Now I want you to notice what happens when the Lord comes down in a cloud. Um, Adam, would you read verses 5, and seven, five through 7? And then I'll give you a break.
1: Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation.
0: Okay. So this is an awesome experience that Moses has here. He has an encounter with God himself. And God could have, he could have said any number of things when he, he confronts, not confronts, but when he meets Moses. But what he wanted Moses to understand is, I am merciful. I am a loving, forgiving God. And I'm sure that's exactly what Moses needed to hear, because don't you bet his knees were a knocking in the holy presence of a, of a righteous and a perfect, holy God. And God says, I am gracious and I am merciful and I am compassionate on all those that love me. And he said, I'm going to visit the iniquity of those that hate me. But, but all of us here today, we're here because we love the Lord. We don't, we don't hate him. All right, let's go to Psalm, back to Psalm 103. In verse 8, I think is what, uh, I think David had the Exodus account in mind when he talked about the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, because he's talking about his ways unto Moses. So I think that's what he's re- reflecting on. Now, he says he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and he's plenteous in mercy. God's ne- he's got an abundant supply of mercy. He never runs out. What does it say? I think it's in Lamentations that, that his mercies are new. How often? Every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. A lot of times when I wake up, I'll, one of the first things I'll do, uh, besides turning the coffee pot on, is, uh, is to uh, turn, uh, open the blinds. And I'll open the blinds and I'll see the sun rising in the east. My, I can see the sunrise from my living room. And I say, thank you, Lord. New mercies are here. New mercies have arrived today. because every, With every sunrise, understand there's new mercies every day. Oh, praise God. He's plenty of sin in it. Verse 9 says, he will not always chide. Now, it doesn't say he will never chide. Because <laughs> he will confront sin in our lives. He will discipline us. He will chasten us. He will correct us. But that's not option A. You know, that's not that's not plan A. God would rather not have to do that. He'd rather you know, I think Paul said if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when God does chasten us, you think King David knew a thing or two about being chastened? David knew what it was, pardon my vernacular, to get a whooping from God.
1: He had a, he had
0: several whoopings. Anybody ever get a whooping when you're growing up? <laughs> you know? And, and and those and, and we've kind of gotten away from that. And I'm not talking about abuse, guys. Don't twist my words. But I'm talking about loving correction, loving discipline. We've gotten away from that. And what has happened now? Our children are more rebellious than they've ever been. They're, they're less respectful than they've ever been. Uh, I, I've really pitied, uh, you know, I, I, I'm thankful. I thank God for all of our teachers and our educators. But I don't envy you because I, I can only imagine what you deal with on a daily basis. And, and and the problem is not the children. The problem is the parents. Because they've not taught those children to respect. You know, and, and, and so I'm just going to get off of that. We're, we're talking about thanks, things we're thankful for. Um, see how easy it is to rabbit trail, get in the flesh. Okay. But he will not keep his anger forever. In other words, God's not going to, when he does give you a whooping, it ain't going to last forever. It ain't going to last forever. You know, I didn't get a ton of whoopings when I was growing up, Dad, I don't think. I think Mama whooped me more than you did. She was, she was the strict disciplinarian, you know. But, but when I did, whenever I, whenever I got a whooping from my, my dad, you know, I was always relieved when it was over with because it's done, you know. Uh, and, and God, when he whoops us, when he, take, when he chastens us, it's done. He's not going to do it forever and ever and ever and on and on and on. Verse 10 says, He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. You see, we always thank God for what He's done for us, but we should thank God for what He hasn't done. (laughs) Thank God that He doesn't give us what we deserve. Don't ever pray that prayer. Don't ever say, Oh, God, give me what I deserve, because you'll be dead. (laughs) Don't ever pray that prayer. Thank God that He doesn't give us what we deserve, and then He expands on it. in Verse 11 For as the heaven, it's actually plural in the Hebrew, it's shamayim. We talked about that Wednesday night. There's three heavens. There's the atmospheric heavens where the birds fly. There's the stellar heavens where the star and the moons are. And then there's the third heaven where God is. And he says, as the heavens are higher than above the earth, so great is his mercy. Again, there's that word hesed in the Hebrew. His loyal covenant love toward them that fear him. So this is to believers. that's, That's the qualifier there. But think about it. I think I looked it up on the internet and I think it's like 240,000 miles from here to the moon. I know some people think the earth is flat and we never went to the moon and all that, but for the rest of us that actually think logically, it's about 240,000 miles from here to the moon. And even beyond that to where God is. And God said, that's how great his mercy is toward them that fear him. Think about that. Think about it. It's so far I can't even see out there. So far. If you want a New Testament verse for it, I'll give you one from Romans. Paul said, Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You cannot outrun the grace of God. He'll find you. He'll find you and he'll forgive you. He will forgive you and he'll wipe it, he'll wipe it up. Now, uh, now, we've been talking about uh, uh, directions on the compass. Uh, heavens and, uh, to the earth is north and south, right? right? If you go far enough north you'll eventually go around and hit south, start going south. Amen? But notice what King David says in the next verse. Verse 12. He says, we've covered the north and the south, but he said, let me give you another perspective. Let's go east and west. (laughs) He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Now see, if you start going north and you go far enough, you'll eventually go south. Y'all are going to think I'm crazy, but I'm going to make a point. But if you start going east, and you go east, and you go east, and you go east, and this church is bigger than I thought it was, and you go east, <laughs> you go east, and i was to sit down and, you know, fat preachers got to take a breath here. You go east, and you go east. And you go east, and guess what? I don't never go west. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our transgressions from us. The Old Testament picture is that of the scapegoat, you know, the Day of Atonement, and they would take the confess the sins on the scapegoat, and they would send him away, never to return to the camp of Israel. And that's what God has done with your sins, my friend. As far as the east is from the west. He's taken him away, never to be remembered again. Man may remember, the devil never forgets, but God says he'd cast him into the sea of his forgetfulness. That's my translation. I think he says into the depths of the sea. But you'll allow me a little poetic license because this is the spirit of what he's trying to say here. Verse 13, like as a father pities his children, some of your translations will say has compassion on them. Like as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord pities them That fear him all of us that are parents And especially grandparents (laughs) Hate to see our children suffer don't we Isn't it like one of the worst things even when they do your kids ever do dumb things Our kids are not here today so I can say with all assurance and confidence and boldness they do dumb things sometimes I know because I was one I was a kid one time Every kid's gonna do dumb things But even when they do dumb things, and actions have consequences, right? And they get punished, and they suffer for it. Even then, I don't delight in their suffering. Most of us as parents, and I know not everybody had a good parent, but most of us as parents, as fathers, we would rather suffer ourselves than to see our children suffer. We would rather take their pain. Well, guess what? God did that for us. He did that in the person of His Son. He took our pain. He took, our transgressions were, were on him. All right, verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are what? Dust. This is echoes of creation, you know. God, some of us think God has such great expectations of us, you know. We think so highly of ourselves. You know why? Because we've forgotten that we're created beings. we forgot that he's the potter and we're the clay. Listen. God can be disappointed in us, but he has no unrealistic expectations of who we are. We're dust. And we need to remember that for ourselves because from time to time, we're going to fail, guys. And the devil's going to look at you and say, you worm, I can't believe you did that. And maybe maybe you do that to yourself. I'm, sometimes I'm my own worst critic. Maybe you are too. You're your own worst critic. And I have to remind myself, you know what? My sin is never justified, but God, God knows what I am. I'm dust. And he knows that we are uh, we're nothing without him. Verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourishes. Now, earlier in the week, haven't the leaves been pretty this year? They've been gorgeous. You did not have to go to the mountains this year. The foliage has been incredible. But I know two people in this church that probably want to cuss every time they see a leaf, and that's Jerry and Becky. <laughs> and I watched them. I think it was Tuesday. They had the leaf blower, and they had their little vacuum sweeper thing. That's such a neat little device, you know. And from sun up to sundown, it was even after dark when they left. They were taking care of those leaves out there, and as you were driving in this morning, you notice what they—they came and dumped them back off. (laughs) They had so much fun; they wanted to do it all over again. Jerry, Becky, don't cuss. I was just kidding about that. But uh, (laughs) uh, but those leaves were so beautiful. But they're just a memory now. Man, at his best state is just like a wildflower in a meadow. It's beautiful. You know, you can admire it. But we're our life is a vapor. We're here for a little time. Wind passes over it and it's gone. The place thereof shall know it no more. But, I love the buts. But, the mercy, again, is the Hebrew word hesed. Now see, man's day is limited. He's like a flower of the grass. But the mercies of the Lord, and that's Jehovah, are from everlasting to everlasting. In the Hebrew, now some translations will say from generation to generation and that's okay. But the Hebrew is alam ad alam. It means from eternity to eternity. I don't know how much systematic theology David understood. But let let me frame it for you. I think the Holy Spirit wants us to know that we've been chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Go with me to Ephesians. (laughs) Go with me to Ephesians chapter uh, 2. Ephesians 2. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Ephesians 2. This is a very familiar scripture. All right, if you would read, Adam, would you read verses 4 through 10? 4 through 10, Ephesians 2. And it starts out with a but. I love it.
1: But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that your work yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for his good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with him. All right. So God chose
0: us in him before the foundation of the world. He's ordained certain things that we should walk in. But I want you to pay attention to that phrase in verse 7. Look at the first few words there. Notice it says that in the ages. Is it plural in your Bible? In the ages to come. The millennium, the new heaven, and the new earth. Here, here's what I want you to see. Is God's plans for you are from everlasting to everlasting. He was thinking about you before, long before you were ever born. Okay, He's thinking about you now. You're saved by grace. And he's got certain things that he's already ordained that you should walk in. And in the ages to come, he's got plans for you, you see. We're all worried about today and tomorrow. And God's like, I got all that covered. A million years from now, I got the best plan for you. You're just gonna be happier than you have ever imagined you could ever be. And the book of Revelation says we'll reign with him forever. Can't fathom that, can we? All right, back to Psalm 103. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And here's the caveat. I know some of you are thinking I'm, well, you sound like you're preaching Calvinism and predestination. Well, here's some free will for you. Here's some raisins in your cornflakes. <laughs> Notice who, the, who this everlasting mercy is for. It's for those that fear him. Okay, It's for believers. That's where faith comes in. And, here, and I love this. And his righteousness. He doesn't just say unto children, but unto who? Children's children. Praise God. I, I, I was praying yesterday and I felt like the Lord wanted me to ask this question because I, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be fairly unanimous in here. Is there anybody in here? And I want you to raise your hand real high if you are. Is there anybody here that's a first generation believer in Jesus Christ? In other words, your mom and dad was not a Christian. You didn't have any grandparents were a Christian. Is there anybody here that's a first generation believer? One. So 99.9% of us here had a parent or a grandparent that knew the Lord. And that's important, my friend. I'm not saying we get to heaven on mom and daddy's coattails, but I'm telling you what you teach your children is gonna have eternal consequences. You and I better raise up our, our family and you better talk to those grandkids about Jesus and talk to those great grandbabies about Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you what, the world is not going to tell them about Jesus. The world's going to tell them that they came from, from the goo and, 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 you know, from the goo to you by means of the zoo and, and all of this garbage over billions of years. You need to tell them that God created the heavens and the earth. Remind them that this is a, fa- a country that was founded upon Christian principles. Teach them the word. And if you'll do that, if you'll do that, I believe you can stand on Psalm 103. And say, God, I'm, I'm trusting you to save my daughter, my son. I'm trusting you to save my, grandcha- my grandson, my granddaughter. Because your righteousness does, doesn't just extend to me, but unto my children and my children's children. Stand on that, my friend. All right. Verse 18. Again, here's a condition. To such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. You know, this is not just about paying lip service to God. I believe if you're a Christian, you're going to live a Christian life. Yeah, are you going to stumble from time to time? Yes, we all do. But I believe that righteousness uh, is manifested not just in what we say, but how we live. James said faith without works is what? Dead. The worst witness in the world is a Christian who doesn't live out the Bible. That is the worst witness in the world. It's somebody that claims to love Jesus and lives just like the world. That's a terrible witness. All right, verse 19. The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens. I don't care who's in the White House or who's in the United Nations. God is on the throne. You know, you don't have to live in angst about uh, who's going to win the elections. I mean, I, we all have our preferences, right? Uh, but I'm going to tell you what, God's in control no matter what. You say, well, they stole the election. Well, God knew it before it happened. He knew that would happen. Do you, do you think any, is God ever taken by surprise? I mean, there's never a time when God like, wow, I didn't see that coming. God knows everything, you know. Daniel got a, re- a revelation of four empires that were ungodly. They were beasts. And yet they were all in the sovereign plan of God. Okay? God uses even, he uses even unrighteous government to chastise his people. And I think that's where we are now. That's why we got a bunch of clowns in the White House and, and, and Congress. You know, it's just it's mind numbing, you know, to look around and say, can people really be this dumb? And apparently they can. You know? <laughs> apparently they can. Common sense is not so common when you forget God. All right, the Lord rules over uh, the heavens and his kingdom rules over all, (laughs) and then David, he's calling on the angels to get in on it. I love this. He says, bless the Lord, you his angels. Praise the Lord. Now, the angels don't have any problem praising the Lord, do they? They do exactly what God wants them to do all the time, every hour, and I think that's David's point. You his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. There's never a time when God tells an angel to do something and the angel says, I don't want to. There's never a time when God gives an angel an assignment and the angel says, have you got anything else? I don't really want to do that. We're the ones who do that, right? And I think that's David's point. We're the ones who are always doing things and complaining and murmuring and, and you know, wishing we were somewhere else and, and wishing that we were doing something else. Instead of doing what God told us to do. But God says bless the Lord angels. Because you guys always do what God wants you to do. Bless you the Lord all you his hosts. Your armies. Your ministers of his. How many ministers do we have in here? Everybody needs to raise their hand. Because every believer is a minister. We, we have uh, uh, we've taken that term minister. And we've, and we've made it only for ordained clergy. So to speak. But a minister just means a servant. That's what the word deacon means in the Greek. It means to serve. It means to serve tables. You know, the pastor is a servant. The deacons are servants. Everyone in this room is a minister of Jesus Christ. And we're to praise him that do his pleasure. And then the envelope closes here in verse 22. David talks to himself one more time. (laughs) Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Everything that hath breath needs to praise the Lord. And I think the animals do. That's why the birds sing, I believe. If we were able to translate what the birds were saying, they would be saying, praise the Lord, holy, holy, holy. Righteous is the Lord. And then he closes it off. Because, you know, we've got to keep talking to ourselves. Because we're a stubborn bunch, aren't we? And he says, bless the Lord, oh my soul. 22 verses here in this psalm. David didn't ask for one thing. All he did was praise and thank God for all of his blessings. And you know what? All of those blessings that David experienced, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, these are yours too. You can quote this psalm. You, you ought to quote it along with King David. I want to do something different this morning. <clears throat> We're going to have an invitation time. But I want us to just, right where we are in our seats today. Now, if you want to come to the altar, that's fine. I'm not trying to discourage you from it. But right where we are in our seats I want us to think about all the things that we're thankful for, okay? And I just want us in the quiet peace of our heart, right where you are, you can kneel if you want to, if you want to come to the altar, you can, but right where you are, and I want us to stand up this, this time, I just want us to thank God, and maybe Sister Sherry can play us something sweet on the piano, and uh, whatever she chooses, And and I want us to just thank the Lord, just take some time, And thank God. Let's don't ask Him for anything, okay? Unless you need to be saved. If you need to be saved, ask Jesus Christ to save your soul, okay? Otherwise, I don't want us to ask Him for anything today. I just want us to just thank Him. And we'll just take a little bit of time to be holy and do that.